Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week I turn to Scripture for guidance in faith and life. But sometimes the Bible teachings that we talk about can be challenging. And that includes many of the teachings of Jesus. His teachings were so scandalous that they got him in trouble with the secular and religious authorities of his day. It eventually led to his death on the cross. But he would not be silenced. And his words have been passed down to us, even though they were very unpopular. In my experience, those outrageous teachings of Jesus are the most valuable if we can only open our hearts and minds and allow them to do their work instead of just ignoring the things in the Bible that we don't like or seem troublesome. The first outrageous teaching of Jesus that I want to deal with has to do with family. Listen to what Jesus has to say in Luke 14. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Well, if that isn't challenging, I don't know what is. If we want to follow Jesus, we have to hate our fathers and mothers, sisters and brothers, husbands and wives and our children. We even have to hate life itself. That goes against almost any moral principle that I hold, and you probably do too. Aren't Christians family and life affirming? Whatever happened to honor your father and mother? There are several incidents recorded in the Bible where Jesus defies our expectations about how we should relate to our families. When he was 12, he became separated from his family while returning from a trip to Jerusalem. And he gets a little sassy when his parents scold him for worrying them. Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, that's not the most respectful statement he could have made to his worried parents. But we are told that he was obedient after that. Then when Jesus is older and has begun his ministry, he returns home for a visit. The people in his hometown are shocked by the things that he was teaching, and they report to his family that they think he's possessed by Beelzebub, the devil. When Jesus is told that his mother and brothers are outside of the house where he's teaching, looking for him, he looks at the people sitting around him who are listening to him and says, you are my brothers and mother and sister. He's putting his teaching ahead of his family. Jesus also teaches others to put their discipleship above their families. When he sees Simon and Andrew out fishing, he calls them to follow him. And we're told that they drop what they're doing and follow him immediately. They leave their father Zebedee in the lurch to fend for himself in their family fishing operation. This would have totally disrupted their family's way of life. And an even more dramatic story of Jesus calling disciples away from their families is told in Luke 9. It says, 
As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Well, what are we to make of these stories? Jesus seems to contradict his own behaviors and teachings when he criticized the Pharisees for letting their religious traditions get in the way of supporting their parents. He reminded them that God says, honor your father and your mother. Like he didn't. It seems to be a bit hypocritical. Well, in order to put Jesus' attitudes toward family into perspective, we must keep in mind that Jesus in his teachings and the gospel writers who tell his stories often use exaggeration to make a point. Taken out of context, they distort Jesus' overriding message of love and compassion, and that's what his message was. I'm not trying to explain these teachings away. I'm just trying to read them as they're intended to be read. Christians and followers of Christ since the beginning have placed a priority on family. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul wrote, Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, or they may lose heart. Although this passage was written at a time when relationships between males and females were much different than they are today, notice that in each case, the relationships are mutual. They're two-way. Husbands and wives should show love and respect for one another. Likewise, children and parents should love and respect one another too. In the modern Christian family, marriage is seen as a partnership. The roles of husbands and wives have changed over time and vary from family to family and place to place. But in a healthy marriage, relationship mutuality is essential. We teach our children to respect and obey their parents. And at the same time, parents respect and nurture their children. In all cases, we love one another in the family. Then what's the, all this language about hating our families and our lives? It's a matter of comparison. Our dedication to Christ and therefore to God is ultimate and absolute. Now, there are abusive and neglectful parents. There are disobedient and disrespectful children. Parents and children make mistakes and look out for their own interests. Jesus Christ is never abusive and will never lead us astray. When we put Christ first in our lives, he leads us back to love and care for our families. As for what it means that we should hate our lives, 
I think a better way to say it is that we must be able and ready to give up our lives in this world. If our life in this world is ultimate concern for us, we will live in a state of anxiety because at some point we know that we will die. Through the promise of the resurrection in Christ, though, we can let go of this life and are freed to live in the now without anxiety and fear of our inevitable death. Put Christ and his teachings first in your life, and you will live as God intended. Another outrageous teaching of Jesus is, don't worry about anything. Listen to this passage from Matthew 6, where Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your lifespan? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. At this point, I'm tempted to say, Seriously, Jesus? That sounds to me like Jesus is advocating an irresponsible lifestyle. Don't worry. Everything will work out fine. Don't take your job too seriously. God will take care of it. Forget about planning for retirement. Everything's going to work out. Reminds me of the Bob Marley song, Don't worry about a thing, because every little thing going to be all right. Let's just go to Jamaica and sit in the sun and drink rum drinks all day. Well, once again, as with his teaching about family, Jesus is talking in the extreme. We can be so absorbed in our search for material things and so consumed about the future and what we're going to wear tomorrow that we forget to live. This is to be a liberating message. Jesus is absolutely right when he says that worrying cannot add a single second or even a nanosecond to our lives. In fact, medical research shows that worry and anxiety can actually shorten our lives. Most of the people I know are not irresponsible in planning for their lives. If anything, they lean in the other direction. But this is a practical text that can make our lives better. We can learn to identify when our lives are out of balance. This will be most challenging for the driven type A personalities. But a good way to start is to be sure that we take at least some time each day for prayer, scripture, and quiet meditation. Tomorrow will bring plenty of worries of its own. But don't worry. God will provide you with resources to get through. Another outrageous teaching of Jesus is related to this one. Jesus says that we have to give up all our possessions to the poor. 
We read in Mark 10, Jesus, looking at a rich young man, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. This teaching is challenging in a couple of ways. First, it's challenging to me because I know that I'm not going to sell everything that I own and give all the proceeds to the poor. That isn't going to happen. The main thing that realization does for me is to induce guilt. I'm like the rich young man. When I hear it, I go away grieving. And secondly, when Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, it sounds to me he's being pretty judgmental. Surely not all people with considerable wealth are bad people and are damned. In fact, many are generous and they're building our economy to help many people. Should they be damned for that? The central truth to take away from this lesson is that the pursuit and accumulation of wealth can create self-imposed prisons. We live in a consumer society that urges us to buy more and more. TV is loaded with commercials aimed to show us how to invest wisely and make more and more money. The lifestyles of the rich and famous fill us with envy and make us feel dissatisfied with the lives we lead. When we are successful, we're consumed with anxiety that we, so that we can keep from losing what we have. The more we have, the more we want and the more we're afraid of losing it. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that the quest for more things and more money doesn't bring a proportionate increase in happiness and life satisfaction. It just brings anxiety and worry. There is something that I can take away from this lesson other than guilt. I can look at my own habits of consumption and be aware of when I'm being manipulated by our consumer culture? Am I overly concerned about how much money and how many things I have? And also, I don't have to sell all that I own, but I can be challenged to give and use my wealth to help those in need more generously. And the same applies to those who are truly rich. Instead of feeling condemned and guilty, they can examine their lives and see if they're using their money, their power, and their resources for the benefit of others in need rather than just themselves. You see, none of us need to go away grieving. We can follow Jesus as faithful, generous disciples. There's one final outrageous teaching of Jesus that's always bothered me since I tend to be kind of a reconciler or peacemaker. 
I don't like conflict. I would think that Jesus would be a healer. Yet listen to what he says. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but with a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. You know, Jesus was known as a pacifist. And he said he came not to bring peace, but a sword. Now, he doesn't mean a literal sword. He's saying that he come to stir things up. And he did. He stirred up a lot of political turmoil. I guess that I'm a little sensitive about this one. In recent years, our country has become more and more polarized. I know of families where fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, children and, and in-laws have become alienated, sometimes permanently, with one another. There's even been some of that in my own family. But you see, Jesus isn't a troublemaker. One of his teachings said, Blessed are the peacemakers, not blessed are the troublemakers. He's simply stating a fact. He knew that his radical message of love, acceptance, and justice would surprisingly divide people. And those divisions wouldn't respect family lines. But while divisions were inevitable, reconciliation is possible. Humpty Dumpty can be put back together again. We do that by following Jesus' admonition. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, and bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Come to think of it, that's another of Jesus' outrageous teachings. But it's true. Nothing about the life and teachings of Jesus is easy. They're not supposed to be. We are constantly being challenged and prodded to move forward toward the kingdom of God, to grow as children of God. Comfortable or not, in the words we heard in last week's sermon, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God bless you and keep you. May God's light shine upon you. May God's face look upon you with love and mercy and give you peace. <music>